This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to thank the member from Mississauga East Cooksville for his question and also championing affordability issues. As he has highlighted, our government has recently announced a policy directive requiring CRTC to look at competition, affordability, consumer interests, and innovations because wireless data plans are up to 32% cheaper than the national average in regions with strong competition. We're promoting more competition, more choice, so therefore Canadians can have more affordable plans, Mr. Speaker. It would appear that Innovation Science and Economic Development Minister Navdeep Bains has had enough. Enough of incumbent telecom giants resisting efforts to increase competition. Enough of CRTC Chair Ian Scott making policy decisions that seemingly favour the big companies. And enough of half-measures that have failed to significantly address some of the world's highest wireless prices, leaving the government looking weak on an issue that's critically important to its innovation agenda. Baines recently took his most significant policy step to date to address telecom concerns by issuing a proposed policy direction to the CRTC that's based on competition, affordability, consumer interests, and innovation. It'll take several months to work its way through a defined legal process, but the policy should be operational by the summer. The proposed direction is notable for a couple of reasons. First, it represents the latest recognition that telecom policy has become a major consumer issue with potential electoral consequences. That was certainly the conclusion that the previous Conservative government reached. Now here's what Industry Minister Tony Clement had to say yesterday about why the government doesn't like this CRTC decision. What I can communicate to you is that, uh, and confirm, that our government is very concerned about this uh, CRTC uh, ruling, uh, how it would impact on consumers, how it would impact on Canadians generally, how it would impact on our small businesses, how it would impact on uh, innovation in our economy. All of those things give us uh, cause for concern about this ruling. And now the Liberal government is wading in with their own measures. Second, the proposed policy direction flips the script on Canadian telecom policy. For years, promoting investment in networks, known as facilities-based competition, has served as Canada's policy foundation. When the lack of wireless competition emerged as a serious concern, governments used spectrum set-asides to entice new facilities-based competitors who still often struggle to compete against deep-pocketed incumbents. Baines's policy places investment toward the bottom of the policy rung, instead encouraging all forms of competition. To help sort through the proposed policy direction, the state of the Canadian telecom market, the role of independent companies that rely on regulated wholesale access, and the lingering frustration with the CRTC, I'm joined on the podcast by Andy Kaplan-Mirth, Vice President of Regulatory and Carrier Affairs with TechSavvy, Canada's largest independent telecom company. (music) 
Great. Well, it's terrific to welcome Andy Kaplan-Mirth, TechSavvy's Vice President, Regulatory and Carrier Affairs, to the podcast. Andy, we've known each other for a long time. You did graduate work here at the University of Ottawa. You managed our technology law program. Uh, you've worked on digital policy at Industry Canada and obviously now uh, at TechSavvy. You've always managed to find yourself, I think, at the center of really interesting and challenging digital policies, and it's great to, to have you come on the podcast. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Before we get into to some of the digital policies, Tech Savvy, I think, is an internet provider that will be known to some, but not all. And so why don't we, why don't we start there? You know, in, the, in a sense, how does a, a Chatham-based Chatham, Ontario-based internet provider become Canada's largest independent telecom company and for a number of years now find itself at the heart of some of the biggest telecom policy issues that that are taking place at the CRTC and elsewhere. Yeah, well, um, TechSavvy is um, the largest independent competitive provider of internet and voice services. We're pretty well known in markets where we've done a lot of pretty visible advertising in, in uh, you know, some urban centers. Our services are available in all provinces now, and we have over 300,000 customers. Uh, all our services are in Canada. And most of our customers are served over a wholesale-based competitive model. We do have some of our own facilities, um, especially in and around Chatham. But uh, most of our customers are served on wholesale. So what that means is we um, buy space on the last mile of the wires that go to your home that are run by the incumbents, phone incumbents and cable incumbents. And we buy that wholesale space from them. And then we connect that part of the network to our own network and provide our own internet services to end users. Um, over that, you know, over those facilities. So it sounds a bit like it's a hot, it's a bit of a hybrid model in the sense that you're investing in your own networks and being able to service your customers. But for that last connection, that ability to connect directly to the customer, you're relying in many instances on a, on wholesale access by buying, I'm going to guess, from a company like Bell or Rogers. That's right. Uh, I don't think it's a secret which um, incumbents we buy from. We buy from actually almost every incumbent that offers the mandated wholesale services now in Canada. Uh, and when you get tech savvy service at home, we, you know, we set up the date, we um, send you the modem, all of your interaction is with tech savvy until a Rogers truck or a Bell truck or at West a TELUS or Shaw uh, truck maybe pulls up with a technician, um, probably dressed in an incumbent's uniform, who uh, comes to the door and installs the, the tech-savvy service for you. So, you know, people know there's some visibility of who the incumbent is, but they're not dealing with the incumbent, and really they're not getting the incumbent service. It's one of our pet peeves that we're often called resellers, um, especially in the media, probably because reseller is a lot easier to say and takes up less space than wholesale network access based providers or, or something else like that. But, um, you know, we're not, we're not reselling their service. And in that sense, I, I guess it is a bit of a hybrid model. I take it that the incumbent carriers don't voluntarily say, we're happy to offer up a wholesale service to you so that you can compete using at least 
our last mile connection. That's right. So when the CRTC requires something like this, it's because it doesn't evolve organically in the market. And that's uh, what's happened. There's mandated um, wholesale service for internet. It's business and residential. And so there are tariffs. You know, each company has their has their own. Some of them look sort of similar. Um, and then when they introduce a speed in the retail market, they are required to also offer that speed in the competitive market. So, you know, with some some issues about the timing of how that happens, um, they generally file a new tariff application, a tariff notice, requesting to add a service at a particular rate on the wholesale side around the same time that they introduce it in the retail market. And then we can figure out how we're going to offer that, what we, how we can price it. If we're going to challenge the price, the rate that they uh, propose to the CRTC, there's a, you know, a bit of a proceeding and then the CRTC uh, approves their rates or changes them. Um, you, you know, generally I, I would say that process works okay. It takes longer. It starts later than I'd like. It takes longer than I'd like, um, except there's a larger context to those rates, which is that a, most of those rates have never been approved on a final basis. So what that means is the um, uh, the incumbents have applied for rates. They've been approved on an interim basis by the CRTC. So we can go ahead and buy them with some assurance that that is the rate. But knowing that at any time the CRTC could issue a final decision that changes those rates, possibly retroactively, um, which creates a lot of uncertainty in the competitive market. Some of those rates have been interim since 2014 in the cable environment. When I hear you describe the scenario playing out over a number of years, it certainly seems likely that we will hear similar kinds of arguments around the wireless side. And on the wireless side, there's been a, a reluctance, at least to date, to create this a similar kind of mandated system, wholesale system, sometimes referred to as some of the new entrants are referred to as MVNOs or mobile virtual network operators. Again, doing somewhat similar business operations as you've described, where they use parts of the network to offer up a competing service. In a trendy corner of Toronto, there's a mobile phone company that's starting to generate a bit of buzz. At Ting, there are no contracts. It's month to month. Cancel any time. You pay only for what you use. No overage penalties, credit for unused minutes, multiple devices on one plan. And Ting says its customers save significantly. You know, think in the 50, 60, 70 percent range on their cell phone bill. There is a catch. Ting, which is based in Canada, isn't available in Canada. Ting doesn't own its own cell network. It buys network access from a telecom company at a wholesale price and then sells that access to its subscribers. In the U.S., Ting pays Sprint to use its mobile network. But here in Canada, Ting says none of Bell, Rogers, or TELUS will play ball. The, the argument from incumbents invariably, and you've highlighted it, on the broadband side with fiber, and I would imagine we will see on the wireless side, is that they invest heavily with billions of dollars in their networks, and they think it is unfair for the government to effectively come in from a regulatory perspective and mandate 
this wholesale access. They're being paid, but they're not being paid as much as they'd like. What's the response to that? And and how do you see it playing out on the wireless side? The um, On the wireline side, at least, uh, yes, they do invest in networks and they build out these networks. And uh, that is a benefit for their customers and for competitors' customers, ultimately. They also uh, apply to the CRTC for rates that competitors ought to pay them to reimburse them for that part of their investment. And that's what the costing process at the CRTC is for. And competitors think that there's a, there are fair rates where incumbents can be uh, you know, paid back for their investments and, uh, and, comp- and the services can be made available on a competitive basis. You know, incumbents are uh, in the business of building these networks and providing services to customers. They get very, very high returns. In fact, they get, they get guaranteed right now uh, 20%, 30%, and 40% returns that are built into the regulated rates. Companies like TechSavvy and other competitors, we're not getting these services for free or, you know, by any stretch. And um, uh, we don't think that competitors are going to stop building networks or uh, incumbents are going to stop building networks because um, more of their services are going to be available for for competition. You know, at the the same time, it's like um, competitors will, or uh, incumbents, sorry, carriers will often say that, um, that Canada has, you know, the fastest services or such a broad reach and that you can't have all of these things. They, they say you, you can't have the best networks in the world and the broadest reach and the fastest services and also expect to have lower prices. And, you know, we really think that they've been in a position to make those kinds of calls for too long. There hasn't been a competitive market where Canadians can uh, demonstrate whether they actually want the fastest speeds on the newest networks at the highest prices. Uh, And we think that there's a place for all kinds of different services at different price points. We just haven't had the opportunity to demonstrate that really in Canada. Okay. And I I guess from a best case scenario, would you, do you believe that the prospect on the wireless side in particular of creating that some of that competition through this mandated service, we've obviously been down a road of trying to bring in new competitors, the infamous attempt, brief attempt of Verizon to enter into the marketplace. It looks like Verizon Communications is not coming to Canada after all. In fact, the company's CEO says speculation about dialing north of the border was all exaggerated. Spectrum set-asides for some of the newer players, and they've had some impact in the margins in certain regions in the country, but we still, according to study after study, pay some of the highest wireless rates in the world, and and there is the, the frustration with the kinds of pricing and the perception of limited choice is something that I think has been pervasive in Canada for a number of years now. More choice, better wireless services, and more competition in the marketplace. To get there, Moore announced today Ottawa will be auctioning off more wireless spectrum, the airwaves cell companies use to send their signals, with rules that will make it easier for new companies to get into the wireless game. 
in those regions of the country where we have aggressive fourth players that are challenging the incumbent big three, prices are down and competition is good. What we're trying to aspire to do is to get that competition spurred in all parts of the country. Do you, do you Are you optimistic that this process that the CRTC has now announced, which won't even have conduct a hearing until 2020, so it's certainly going to take some time, will have a real impact in terms of what the marketplace looks like? I think that it has the potential to have an impact. I mean, it's the first time we've seen uh, this much movement. So, you know, to that extent, I think it's encouraging. Uh, some of the CRTC's statements in the notice of consultation are encouraging about recognizing the need for competition in this space, uh, the market power of incumbents, and the fact that competition, you know, has not evolved organically and needs regulatory intervention. Um, if the, we haven't discussed the policy, the new policy direction yet, but if the MVNO framework develops in a climate where we have a new policy direction that encourages competition, then uh, I feel even more encouraged. I think it could be developed in a way that, you know, reduces barriers for entrance and, um, and encourages uh, new forms of competition like MVNO. Right, you know, right now, I, um, I, I guess I'm very cautious about um, how optimistic I'm going to be about the framework in this environment. You know, in a sense, I think the CRTC is kind of doing the least that they can in the MVNO space. They, they really waited uh, too long to introduce something. Um, the timeline that they've built for, you know, leading up to the hearing is extremely long. And I think we can expect probably years after that uh, for a framework to actually be developed before anybody can can be in a regulated market, at least. Um, and I think the way that they framed the available availability of MVNO, the proposal here is for a very limited MVNO framework, you know, time limited uh, until a um, a competitive market is uh, is in place. So, it, you know, reading it, I, I think there's some reason to be optimistic, but I also feel like they've kind of done the least they could, they could probably get away with. Yeah, that's a pretty striking uh, comment to suggest that it's the least they could do. And, and you've highlighted why you think that is. What's your take then on the government? Because the, this felt like almost a pair, although uh, presumably they happened somewhat independently. The CRTC, on the one hand, seemingly reversing its opposition to these MVNOs, to these uh, to the wholesale market for wireless services as a mechanism to create new competition in the marketplace. So they, for a long time, uh, were not in favor. They now opened the door, but as you say, this is going to take a very long time, and it's rather limited. A lot of the frustration amongst Canadians, Canadian consumers. Sometimes it's directed at the CRTC, oftentimes it's directed at the government. And as you know, uh, there is now a proposed policy direction from the Innovation Science and Economic Development Minister, Navdeep Baines, which tries to shift some of the priorities that the CRTC ought to consider, including competition, consumer interests, and affordability. It seems to have taken quite a lot of people by surprise. Uh, what's your take on this policy direction and the prospect that it will have a, a real impact on the way that the CRTC looks at the wireless market and its and it, the resulting regulation? I, I think the policy direction is really the most important tool that we needed um, to, to make a real change at the CRTC. The CRTC has still been working under a 2006 policy direction 
um, you know, brought in by Bernier as the Minister of Industry. And the goal of that policy direction was really to bring an approach to the CRTC where they would reduce regulation, let market forces, um, you know, drive uh, drive competition, drive things to the maximum extent possible, reduce the burden on incumbents when it comes to tariff processes, and really emphasized facilities-based competition um, over any other form of competition, which you know weren't even weren't even mentioned there. So the CRTC has continued to operate under that. I think the gains that consumers made um, under the last CRTC chair really happened in spite of that policy direction. Um, of course, you know, different commissions may read their own interpretations into some aspects of it. And I think that chair, um, uh, J.P. Blay, um, read as expansive an interpretation as he could have to really improve things for consumers where possible. But even there, we didn't see, say, a mobile framework evolve. And we saw um, the beginnings of the problems that we're having with access to fiber on a competitive basis. So, you know, that leaves us without, really without speed matching, which was always the fundamental um, uh, goal and philosophy of, um, of competitive services. So now this new policy direction really uh, takes a completely different approach and emphasizes Um, competition, all forms of competition, reducing barriers for competitors. And uh, if the CRTC is made to adopt that policy approach in its decision making, then we think that's really the biggest opportunity for for change on a a short-term basis. The current CRTC led by Ian Scott uh, has certainly found itself in the crosshairs a bit of uh, government. They've sent back a number of decisions, including one with the MVNO asking for reconsideration. And it certainly felt like the policy direction was, if not a last gasp, it was sort of a, a, a one further attempt to escalate this issue. And, and as you suggest, send the clearest signal possible that they were unhappy with the way the CRTC was interpreting it interpreting its mandate and the policy positions it was adopting. That hasn't been the only source of frustration, though, with the CRTC. We've had consumer groups in recent years, in one instance, boycotting a proceeding on an internet code of conduct after the CRTC refused to allow for an extension in, in providing submissions to that hearing, despite the fact that there were a myriad of other issues going on. The CRTC has launched proceedings to create an internet code of conduct to protect consumers. The problem is, without warning and little notice, they have put the public and experts on an impossible timeline to contribute meaningful input. Even worse, the CRTC is withholding crucial information to allow experts to do their job. The CRTC's irrational approach has become a debacle. Are the Liberals really serious about consumer protection, or is this process smoke and mirrors? Will the Minister extend the deadline to allow the public and experts reasonable time to make submissions to the CRTC and ensure a code of conduct is done properly? We've seen some of those groups have struggle with long delays and being reimbursed for some of their expenses, which has put some of them at risk. You've highlighted another source of frustration with this mounting concern under the current CRTC that has to do with the release of an annual report, the Communications Monitoring Report, which has become for many the primary source of reliable data on the industry. 
wonder if you might highlight what that concern has been in the response that you've got from the CRTC. Yeah, um, this is the annual report that the CRTC puts out that's based on a lot of information that they collect from businesses. Um, and it details facilities and pricing and uh, services and where those services are available, what kinds of speeds uh, and services people use and how that's changed over time. Uh, you know, with any kind of annual study like this, a lot of the value comes in comparing the data year over year. So um, this particular report came out late in the year, uh, later than it, than it used to come out. Uh, and it came out right in the middle of a part of the proceedings that I've sort of alluded to where competitors are trying to um, gain access to the, to the fiber to really um, reinstate speed matching. Uh, so in responding to some of those filings, we were re reviewing the um, communications monitoring report for the, the last year that it was available and found that uh, some of the information was not there that had been there in previous years. And it was actually, I mean, most disturbingly, it was exactly the information that we needed to make our case about how more people are adopting higher and higher speeds. Like, you know, we're, we're capped effectively at about 50 megabits per second on the telcos, uh, like say Bell, who have fiber to the home services in the retail market with, with speeds up to um, 1.5 gigs. So, you know, that obviously makes it very hard to compete. To argue about the impact of that on our business, we really need to be able to show that people are adopting those faster and faster speeds. And instead what we found was the CRTC grouped together 50 megabits and up as higher higher speed services um, and didn't break down um, how many how many people are or how many households are using uh, particular speed tiers above that that's really the information that we would have needed so that you know that was a real concern there were other concerns with the way that they um, grouped data from competitors. Uh, together in the report that really obfuscated the um, the effect of the market lately on competitors, and so we raised these concerns in a letter to the to the CRTC and asked why they had um, uh, changed their methodology, not explained why they had done that as they have in the past when they've changed the methodology, and you know specifically why they excluded such timely and critical information this time as opposed to say. Um, you know, less relevant, timely information. And the response we got from the CRTC is, is really concerning. Um, it was kind of a non-response. The CRTC basically acknowledged that they uh, made changes to the report, that there are, um, uh, the, the market evolves, and so they've removed some information from the report. Um, you know, we don't think that that answers any of our questions or concerns. Um, and it certainly doesn't answer the concerns that we started hearing from other uh, sources, from those public interest groups and from uh, academics and researchers and other competitors um, about other parts of the report where information was, um, was missing or the timeliness of the reports themselves. So, uh, you know, that we just received that letter. We're uh, looking at it now and, um, you know, certainly feeling really concerned 
about why the CRTC would have made those specific changes in the report at such an important time for competitors. Right. So at the very time that these policy issues are, are front and center, both politically and from a policy regulatory perspective, and what we would really want to have is the best data possible, it sounds like the CRTC is delaying and in some instances not even providing some of the kind of data that might allow for more informed policymaking. Yeah. And, you know, there are the specific issues of what they um uh, what they removed from the report or how they presented it, um, that is what really alerted us to it and, and prompted us to raise it with the commission. But, um, but the bigger issue here is, you know, a, a public agency that collects information and publishes it um, every year. It is the canonical source of evidence for anybody participating in these proceedings, not just um, not just businesses and competitors like us, but any individual Canadians or, or researchers or public interest groups, everyone turns to this annual report uh, and cites this, what should be really objective data that we can all agree on. If we don't have that um, reliable source of information, then we're going to have companies producing their own studies and uh, and likely a lot of conflicting information about what the market looks like. And and so that's like the, the larger issue of transparency in an annual report from a public agency that I think should really concern um, uh, everybody who want to participate in these kinds of proceedings. I think you're right. And certainly when we combine that with the other issues that we've spent spent the last time talking about, the the policy development and regulatory processes that we're going to see, the policy direction that augurs for some shifting in terms of some of the priorities, it really all comes together in the sense of ensuring that there is the best information possible, the, uh, the most open processes to allow everyone to participate. And then ultimately, I would hope, achieving the, the the end goal, which of course is affordable services, appropriate levels of investment, more competition in the marketplace. And that's a, those are all targets or goals that we've struggled in many ways over the last number of years. And part of that's a political issue, part of it's a regulatory one. And it sounds like we're going to continue to be uh, grappling with some of those issues for, for many months and indeed years ahead. Yeah, I, I think this, um, a lot of these processes are, in a sense, just getting underway. Um, but at least with the policy direction, I think that um, we have the potential for some change in how the commission approaches them. And maybe we'll start seeing a change in the approach to some decisions. Well, it's always nice to end on a, on a more optimistic note. And so let's take the glass half full that there is the policy direction and there is a, a minister and a government paying attention and a CRTC that has at least opened the door to some shifts. Uh, Andy, thanks so much uh, for joining me on the podcast. I know that everybody will be continuing to follow these issues as they unfold. It's my pleasure. Thanks very much. My thanks once again to Tech Savvy's Andy Kaplan-Mirth for joining me on the podcast to discuss all matters telecom in Canada. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. That's L-A-W-B-Y-T-E-S at P-O-Box.com. 
Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or follow Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe at iTunes, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.